This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, as we continue our study through the book of Psalms, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 49. Psalm 49. And as you're turning there, a couple of things. I want to remind you, if you're a guest today, would you give us some information about yourself? We would really appreciate that. There's baskets at the doors, and we would love to know that you are here and know how we can encourage you. And whether you're a guest or a member, we really want to know how we can pray for you. This is very important to us. We want to pray specifically by name for you. And the only way we know how to do that is if you tell us. So if you would fill out one of these cards and let us know, we promise you, assure you, that we will take this seriously and we will pray for you. uh, So you can fill those out and put it in the offering plate as well. I mentioned to you uh, last week that we're beginning this week our annual Christmas missions offering. Our goal for this year above uh, any of our regular tithes and offerings is $400,000. 70% of that goes to the International Mission Board. 20% of that goes to the North American Mission Board. And 10% of that stays here for our own mission endeavors. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I never mind asking you for money. It doesn't bother me one bit. As a matter of fact, I kind of enjoy asking you for money. And there's a lot of reasons. First of all is that I'm just confident that as you are giving and God is doing things in your life, then God is going to bless you for that. I believe confidently that God will bless you. I also don't mind asking you for money because I'm not on commission. So I, you know, if we get 800,000 for the missions offering, I don't have a separate account where we take some of that and save up for an airplane. I got none of that. I'm not on commission. So no matter how much I ask you to give, it doesn't come back uh, to me at all. I also don't mind asking you to give because I'm never going to ask you to give to something that Andrea and I aren't going to give to. So when we think about offer, uh, asking you to give something, I'm having to think myself, are Andrew and I ready to give sacrificially to this offering? I have a conviction, which I absolutely believe, that God will never bless a church financially unless the pastor is giving faithfully and sacrificially. I believe that. I believe I have a greater responsibility to give sacrificially, consistently, faithfully, not only to our regular tithes and offerings, but to any special offerings. So I say that to say, I got skin in the game. So I'm not asking you to give to something that I'm not going to give to as well. It also matters to me because... I have been given a responsibility, according to 1 Peter chapter 5 and Hebrews 13, to watch over your soul. So I will stand before God one day and give an account to the chief shepherd by how well I shepherded you. And what I'm going to give an account for is not the externals, but how well I shepherded your soul. And I take that seriously because I will stand before God and give an account. And what I know is this. I know that money is one of the primary weapons of the enemy to steal away your heart and your soul and affections for Jesus Christ. Wealth is not the problem. God has been gracious to many of us and blessed us. The issue is what wealth has a potential to do to our hearts. And I know that there are many people, according to scripture, that will not make it faithful to the end because they have not been wise with the resources God has given them. And so as someone who's been given a responsibility for your soul, I take it very seriously Because God has so ordained it 
that faithful, consistent, sacrificial giving is the primary means by which God is keeping your heart in check and ensuring that you're not led astray by the deceitfulness of riches. And that's one of the reasons I love Psalm 49. Because Psalm 49 is written to the foolish who put their trust and confidence and boast in wealth. It is also written to, the, written to the foolish who don't have wealth, but long for wealth. And the point of Psalm 49 is simply this. Only Jesus and not money is the source of eternal life and your salvation from eternal death. Only Jesus and not money can give you eternal life, not just later, but now. Eternal life begins the moment you come to know Jesus. The only means by which you will ever experience real, abundant life right now is through Jesus Christ, and there is no substitute. And the only way you'll ever escape eternal death is through Jesus Christ, and there is no substitute. So if I'm gonna give an account for your soul, and if I really believe that there is no substitute to real life found in Jesus Christ. And if I believe, according to scripture, that wealth has a way of deceiving you and pulling you away from Christ, then as your pastor, it's my responsibility to call you to give. And that's what Psalm 49 teaches us. If you're there in Psalm 49, give us me a loud amen. Listen to these words, starting in verse one. It says this, hear this, all people, Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, and the meditations of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. That he should live on forever and never see the pit. Verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die. And the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling place to all generation, though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. Verse 13, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though, while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. Now, Psalm 49 is really a different psalm. And truthfully, it comes as a bit of a surprise as we have been walking through the psalms. It feels very different than Psalm 46, 47, 48. It feels very different from what we'll see next week in Psalm 50. 
And that's because it feels more like a proverb than a psalm. There's really not any other psalms like this in all of the Psalter. It is a wisdom psalm. And because of that, you might have noticed, and I read this over and over hundreds of times this week, there's a lot of phrases that seem a little bit difficult to understand because of the type of psalm this is. And I think sometimes we miss the feeling of the psalm with all of the language that's so hard for us to interpret. So I'm gonna do something this morning I don't do very often. And that is I wanna read this from the paraphrase of Psalm 49 in Eugene Peterson's The Message. I want you to hear these words because Eugene Peterson does an incredible way of translating this and helping us to understand. So just listen as I read Psalm 49 again from this paraphrase. It says this, listen everyone, listen. Earth dwellers, don't miss this. All you haves and have nots, all together now, listen. I set plain spoken wisdom before you, my heart seasoned understandings of life. I fine tuned my ear to the sayings of the wise. I solve life's riddle with the help of a harp. So why should I fear in bad times, hemmed in by my enemy malice, shoved around by bullies, demeaned by the arrogant rich? Really? There is no such thing as self-rescue, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The cost of rescue is beyond our means, and even then, it doesn't guarantee life forever or insurance against the black hole. Anyone can see that the brightest and best die, wiped out right along with fools and dunces. They leave all their prowess behind. They move into their new home, the coffin. The cemetery, their permanent address. And to think, they named counties after themselves. We aren't immortal. We don't last long. Like our dogs, we age and weaken and die. This is what happens to those who live for the moment, who only look out for themselves. Death herds them like sheep straight to hell. They disappear down the gullet of the grave. They waste away to nothing. Nothing left but a marker in a cemetery. But me, God snatches me from the clutch of death. He reaches down and grabs me. So don't be impressed with those who get rich and pile up fame and fortune. They can't take it with them. Fame and fortune all get left behind. And just when they think they've arrived and folks praise them because they've made good, they enter the family burial plot where they'll never see sunshine again. We aren't immortal. We don't last long. Like our dogs, we age and weaken and die. Happy Thanksgiving. It's pretty depressing, isn't it? The truth is, in the midst of all of those depressing statements, there actually is some real encouragement here and some real wisdom. And it's for every one of us. I think there might be a temptation for us when we look at a passage like this to say, well, yes, those who are wealthy really need to get with the program. But the psalm begins in a way that lets us know that this is for every single one of us, that all of us need to listen to this. Look at the first few verses. It says, hear this, all peoples, everyone needs to hear this. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world. It means it doesn't matter what nation you live in, what class you're in, what race you are. Every single person needs to listen to this. Both low and high, rich and poor together, everyone needs the words of Psalm 49. And I love what the psalmist says. He says, my mouth is going to give wisdom to you. The meditations of my heart shall be understanding. And look at this. I will incline my ear to a proverb. What the psalmist is saying is this, I've listened, I've searched, 
I've come to understand the things of the Lord and have someone who has listened to the Lord. I have gained wisdom and I'm going to now share that wisdom with you. One of the things the Lord taught me early in my ministry, if I ever was ever going to be someone who preached well, I was going to have to first learn how to listen well. Those who have something good to say are those who have learned how to sit and do the hard work of listening to the Lord. And what the psalmist says is this, I've listened and God has given me wisdom and I want to give it to you. And I love what he says there at the end of verse four. He says, I'm going to solve a riddle for you. I'm going to use music to solve a riddle. Because what he does here is he really does solve one of life's greatest riddles. Think about this. Why is it in Luke 18 that Jesus says it's so hard for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Why is it that in Mark 4, when you talk about the parable of the soils, Jesus says there are a group of people who hear the gospel, receive it, they spring up, but the deceitfulness of riches chokes it out and they don't make it into heaven because of riches. Why is it in Matthew 6 that Jesus says there's a direct connection between where your heart is and where your finances are, that your heart is going to follow your money? And why is it that in 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul warns Timothy and he says this, the love of money is the root of all evil and it causes many to fall away and it causes many sorrows upon those who long for it. Those are riddles. Why is it that money seems to have that kind of effect upon people? And Psalm 49 answers that question. It answers the, the, the riddle with some wisdom about wealth. So I want to encourage you to write this down, knowing that it's for all people and everyone needs to hear this. What is some wisdom about wealth from Psalm 49? The first bit of wisdom is this. Wealth is a terrifying confidence. Wealth is a terrifying confidence. Verse 5, as he begins to share the wisdom, begins with the idea of fear. The psalmist is doing what the psalmist often does. He's asking himself a question. Why should I be so downcast? Why am I concerned? Why am I depressed? And here he says, why am I afraid? And it seems that the fear of the psalmist is related to a couple of things. First of all, the psalmist might be afraid that because of their lack of wealth, they don't know how they're going to take care of things in the future. They may not know how they're going to take care of things tomorrow or tonight. And that lack of resources has plagued them with a fear and they feel it rising inside of them. They feel scared because of their lack of funds. But even beyond that, it seems that the wealthy have oppressed the poor in this context. And the result is, is the wealthy are boasting in all of their wealth while the poor are suffering. And that's why it says at the end of verse five, the iniquity of those who cheat me surround me. And they trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. So one of the things bothering the psalmist is this, is I'm suffering and I'm afraid, but yet it appears as I look around that those who have more don't share the same fear that I have. My poverty seems to have increased my fear, but their wealth seems to increase their confidence. And the psalmist is bothered by this. But he's saying to his own soul, I don't need to be afraid of this. And it's because of what it says there in verse six. And if you mark in your Bibles, there are two words. You've got a circle or underline or highlight. It's the words trust and boast. It says in verse six, there are those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches. Again, the issue here is not wealth. 
God has blessed many of you, many of us with great resources. We praise God for that. God has blessed many of you in all kinds of ways. The problem is this, is that when those who have wealth begin to put their trust in their wealth and boast in their wealth, exactly like it says in verse six. You see, the problem is not the wealth. The problem is what the wealth can often do to our heart. So it says in verse six that there are those who trust in their wealth, meaning their wealth has given them a sense of of confidence. It reminds us of that parable in Luke 12, where Jesus says there was a man whose crops had had, uh, had produced an abundance. And in order to take care of the abundance, instead of giving the money away, he tears down all of his barns and he builds new, bigger barns. And then he fills the barns with everything that he has made and a confidence settles into his heart. And so he says this, I have everything taken care of for the future. So I'll sit back and I'll rest and I'll be at ease. I'll drink and I'll be merry. Why? Because his wealth gave him a sense of confidence. He trusted in his wealth. But then it says this, there are also those who boast in their wealth, meaning their money not only gives them confidence, their money gives them identity. They begin to find that the things that they have and the clothes that they wear and the neighborhood they live in has become a part of who they know that they are. And if you were to take away their wealth, you wouldn't just take away their money. You'd take away their confidence and you'd take away their identity. Young and old often struggle with finding their identity in the things that they have. Now, Here's the problem. Is that these two things, confidence and identity, are only truly found in Jesus Christ. And what wealth has a potential to do is to take two things that you should only find in Jesus and allow you to find them in something else. This is the concern, and the psalmist is watching that there are those who have built up an incredible amount of confidence and they have identified themselves in their resources. But the psalmist says this, I don't need to be afraid of that. Why? Because their confidence and their identity is actually a terrifying reality. In other words, I'm not the one that should be scared. They're the ones that should be scared. What's the reason? Well, the reason is one little word at the end of verse nine. Verse nine ends with one word and it is pit. It's pit. It's talking about not only the physical pit of death, the grave that you're going to be placed in at some point, but even beyond that, the pit of eternal death. What in the Old Testament is called Sheol, the place of the dead, which we would call the darkness of hell. And so this little passage right here in these verses ends with the reality of the darkness of hell, the pit. That someday, every one of us is going to be put in a pit. And for some, it will be a pit that is not only a real physical pit, but it is going to be a representation of the darkness of the pit of hell. And the reason the psalmist says that those who put their confidence in wealth and find their identity in wealth should be terrified is because their confidence is not going to help them at that moment. Look at what it says in verse 7. It says, there is no man that can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. Meaning this, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't get anyone else out of the pit. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you can't get yourself out of the pit. There is an inevitable pit 
called death. And it's coming for every single one of us. And there are those who, because of their resources, have become confident in their position and they have found their identity and their position, but their wealth cannot help them one moment at death. And so in this idea of fear, while the psalmist is struggling with his own fear, he comes to the realization that he doesn't need to be afraid. Why? Because he's found an identity in Jesus Christ. He's got his confidence in Jesus Christ. But those who do not have their confidence in the solid rock of Jesus Christ, those who find their identity in what they have, should be terrified. Because wealth is a terrifying confidence that will not help you when you need it the most. And those who have built their life upon it will be disappointed. Wealth is a terrifying confidence. There's another bit of wisdom in the following verses. It is this. Wealth is a temporary currency. It is a temporary currency. Look what it says in verse 10. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike all perish. In other words, death is the great equalizer. It's the great leveler. All of us are at the same point, the same condition at the moment in which we die. The wise, the fool, the stupid, every one of us, we all come to a point in which we die. And it says in verse 10, and the wealthy, well, they leave their wealth to others. In other words, at that moment in which you need something the most, the currency that you have accumulated can't help you in that moment. I've had the opportunity twice in my life to sit beside the bed of someone who slowly died. Once in a hospital and once in my parents' home. It's such a surreal moment. Life seems to go so slow as you're sitting there and you're watching these things happen. And what you realize at that moment is that all dignity is gone. And even if it's in a home in which it's filled with riches and beauty and things that have been accumulated over the years, what you realize is this, the person that is lying in that bed, those things mean nothing anymore. All of the things that they've accumulated for their entire life surrounding them as they sit in a hospice bed in their dining room don't matter a bit. Because the currency that they've collected is a temporary currency. And although you can buy a lot of things with that currency, you cannot buy yourself out of that inevitable moment in which you breathe your last breath. Can the wealthy get better health care? They probably can. But at some point, they're going to die. And even though they may prolong it in some way or another, the reality is the rich, the poor, the stupid, the wise are all going to die. Verse 10. I love how the message says this. I read it a minute ago. It says this. The wealthy leave their prowess behind. They move into their new homes, the coffin. And the cemetery, their permanent address. And to think, they named counties after themselves. Meaning, as it says here in verse 11, they have done everything they can to make a lasting legacy. But their graves are their home forever. Verse 11, their dwelling place to all generations, even though they called lands by their own name. You see, this is why in Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says this, don't store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. Because although this currency, which is temporary, cannot get you out of death, it does have the ability to allow you to invest in eternity. I love what Randy Alcorn says. He says this, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. 
Meaning God has given you an incredible opportunity to use the wealth that he has given you to store up things for you that will last on the other side of death. It is possible for you to give in such a way that you are using this temporary currency to store up for you an internal reward that you will enjoy forever. What an amazing thought. God's saying, I've given you these resources. They can buy you all kinds of things. They can't buy you out of death, so don't put your hope in that. Instead, use these resources for something that is eternal because it's a temporary currency. Now look at what it says in verse 12. Verse 12 seems to be kind of the refrain or the chorus of Psalm 49 because it's mentioned in verse 12 and 20 and it is by far the most depressing verse in the Psalm. It says, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. Now, the reason it seems so depressing is because it is making a contrast between the pomp and your dog. And it's saying this, that you can have all the pomp that you want. You can be surrounded with all of the wealth that you want, but at the end of it all, you're going to die just like your dog is going to die. It doesn't matter how much pomp you've got. It doesn't matter how little you've got. It doesn't matter how much you've got. Like your dog, you're going to die. The difference is this. You have the opportunity to store up something for yourself that will last you for all of eternity. Like the pomp, it's all going to be gone and the beast will perish. But God has given us an opportunity through this temporary currency to do something of eternal value. So he's given us some wisdom. He's saying, listen, be careful. If your confidence is in what you have, that's a terrifying place to put your confidence. Listen, if your currency is not being used for eternal things, no, it's temporary. But there is one last bit of wisdom. It's found in verses 13 through 15, and it is this. Jesus is a triumphant contrast. Jesus provides us with a triumphant contrast. Verses through 15 show us, 13 through 15, show us this massive contrast. Look how verse 13 starts. There's a path. It's the path of those of foolish confidence. Those who feel at ease and at rest because they've stored up enough money. So they just feel confident. It says that's a foolish confidence. Because it says that people will approve of their boast. Listen, one of the greatest temptations about wealth is not only that it tempts you to take life easy, it tempts you to be confident, it tempts you with a false identity, but the most challenging thing is this, everyone else around you applauds you. Do you see what it says? It says that though they call their lands by their own name, they're gonna perish, and then in their path of foolishness, people approve of their boast. Everyone's applauding, they did it, boy, you, you really did it. Well, you made a name for yourself. You really made something great because this is what people applaud. So everyone is applauding this. You've done great. You've done great. And we love that applause and we want that applause. But that applause is one of the things that can also lead us astray. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. And yet after people approve of their boast, look what it says in verse 14. Like sheep, they're appointed for Sheol and death shall be their shepherd. Truth is, is all of us are like sheep. And what I did in my Bible here, right beside verse 14, is I wrote Psalm 23. Because I can't imagine a more dramatic contrast. There are those who have chosen by faith to make the Lord their shepherd. Meaning this, you have known that you can't lead yourself. You can't provide for yourself. You need a shepherd. 
not only to lead you in this life, but to lead you in eternity. And so you have believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. Death alone is the payment for your sins. You've surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ, to his lordship. And at that moment, he's become your shepherd because John 10 says Jesus is the good shepherd. And now because he is your shepherd, you're not fearful of what you're going to need because you have no wants. He takes care of everything. He leads you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads you beside the still waters. He restores your soul. He makes you new from the inside out. And even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear evil anymore because he's with you. His rod and his staff, they're comforting you. And then it says this, those who are shepherded by the Lord will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's your story if you have Christ. But look at this in verse 14. How depressing is this? Those who are putting their confidence in wealth are like sheep that are appointed for Sheol, for death, and death will be their shepherd. Meaning they're living this life grazing through the abundant pastures, oblivious as sheep are. What they don't know is this, is they have chosen to make their shepherd wealth and that shepherd is leading them to the slaughter. So here they are feeling good and confident and comfortable. What they do not realize is they've submitted themselves to a shepherd that is leading them to death. And then it says this in the great reversal, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning for their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. In other words, it is the poor and the meek that will inherit the earth as Jesus promised us. This is an amazing thought when you think about those who have put all of their confidence in the things that they own and to know what they don't realize that they're being shepherded to an eternal death. But then look at how verse 15 starts with two of the most precious words that have ever been written in scripture used many times, but God. In other words, there's an alternative to this life of meaningless existence and eternal darkness and death. Because the psalmist says this, but God is going to ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. I love that the psalmist uses a money word to describe what God has done for us. But, but I will be ransomed by the Lord. Ransom is the price that is paid to redeem someone. Meaning all of us have to be redeemed from death. And the only way we can be redeemed from death is for there to be a payment great enough to pay for us. But verse eight already said that you don't have enough money to get yourself out of death. So what has to happen? What has to happen is God has to send his only son, Jesus Christ, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That the only payment that was ever gonna be good enough to rescue us from the pit was the payment of God's own son who came and lived humbly among us, who lived a perfect life, but died a criminal's death. So at the moment of his death, all of the punishment for all of our sins at one time could be placed upon him. And we receive the fullness of his righteousness and are declared free from the, from the, from the punishment of eternal death through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He says, but I know that I will be ransomed by the Lord and he will receive me. Now, let me solve one of these riddles for you. The reason Jesus says that it's so hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven is because the only way for you to get in the kingdom of heaven is to let someone else pick up the tab. 
In other words, the only way you can get into heaven is to admit that you're poor. And if there's one thing the rich don't want to admit, it's that they're poor. The only way you will ever get to heaven is to admit that you're poor, that you have nothing when you stand before God. And the only way that you can ever be right with God is to receive the fullness of everything he has for you. And once you admit your poverty, then he outpours upon you the riches of his goodness and grace. The contrast here between the one that is shepherded to death and the one who is shepherded to life in verse 15, that the Lord will receive him. And the point is simply this that it is only Jesus that can give you eternal life and save you from eternal death. You say, well, if this is true, well, how do we respond to that? Well, that's the point of those last few verses, verses 16 through 20. Just very quickly, the practical response to this truth That wealth is a terrifying confidence. It's a temporary currency. And there is another option. This triumphant contrast with Jesus Christ. Our response is in those last verses. First response is this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It says this in verse 16. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich. In other words, if the Lord is your shepherd and if you have given your life to Christ, there is never a reason to be afraid. He is sure that his godly ones will never be without what they need. Church, if you have Jesus Christ and you're trusting him, there should be an incredible amount of confidence, regardless of anything you have in the bank, that your life is grounded upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Don't ever be afraid. The next response there is to not be envious. When the glory of his house increases, look, for when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself, everyone applauds you. Yet his soul will go to the generation of his fathers who will never again see light. One of greatest temptations for us is often to envy those who have more. What the Lord is saying here is this. Yes, there are those who have more and there are those that everyone counts as blessed. But the true blessed one is the one who has Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid and don't be envious. And the last response is this, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by the appearances. Continue to trust alone in Jesus Christ. Continue to put your confidence in Christ. Find your identity in Christ. Can I just say to the students in the room, the college students outside in the pavilion, don't ever try to find your identity in what you wear and what you own in the house your parents live in. It is a false identity. It will leave you disappointed. None of those things are lasting. Can I say to every one of us in the room, don't find your identity in the things you have. Find your identity in your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the place, in the county, the place in which we live, in which there's so So much pressure to live a certain way and have certain things and be a certain way. Please place your confidence and trust and find your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that will last you. And the more I read this text, the more I continue to think about the words of the hymn that says, my hope is built on nothing else but Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. May that be true of us, for God's grace, for his glory in your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. 
For more information, visit us at pabc.org.